Let me invite you to turn to this our scripture reading for this morning, which is in Galatians chapter 2. As you do so, I will give you a quick reminder of what happens when you get called to the last minute <laughs> to preach at another church. There's two ways you can mess things up for the church and the preacher you're subbing for. One is to dig in and try to preach from the passage that's listed for you. The other way is to preach from someplace else in the Bible. So, I'm doing it the first option. Which brings us to the book of Galatians. And our reading is begins in verse 15 and runs to the end of that chapter. Galatians 2, beginning in verse 15. We ourselves are Jews by birth and not Gentile sinners. Yet we know that a person is not justified by works of the law, but through faith in Jesus Christ. So we also have believed in Christ Jesus in order to be justified by faith in Christ and not by works of the law. Because by the works of the law, no one will be justified. But if in our, in our endeavor to be justified in Christ, we too were found to be sinners, is Christ then a servant of sin? Certainly not. For if I rebuild what I tore down, I prove myself to be a transgressor. For through the law, I died to the law, so that I might live to God. I have been crucified with Christ. It is no longer I who live, but Christ who lives in me. In the life I live, I li now live in the flesh, in the, uh, live by faith in the Son of God who loved me and gave himself for me. I do not nullify the grace of God. For if righteousness were through the law, then Christ died for no purpose. This is the word of the Lord. Let's pray. Lord, we are your people, and that which we read, take note of, hear, and would apply is your word. So give us ears to hear, eyes to see, hearts to believe, and wills to obey. This is your word, for we ask it in Jesus' name. Amen. It's like they say, you just had to be there to appreciate it. Verses we've just read uh, from Galatians 2 uh, are of such a kind that, that when we first read them, when we read them, especially by themselves, there's a reaction that many people have. Namely, Am I missing out on something here? Because all of a sudden, this we, we, we suspect that right in this middle section, something else has been going on that we're not aware of. And if we read this passage just by itself, we are missing something. You see, this is part of a narrative that Paul began back in chapter 1, verse 11. It's a story, a personal story, that he's 
shares with the church in Galatia. It's meant to explain how it was that he came to preach the gospel. He did. And why the gospel must not be abandoned for some other gospel. This is a story that takes the hearers back a number of years when Paul was first transformed by Christ. And he began this journey which took him across the ancient Near East. It was in, during this period of time that he began to wrap his head around the meaning of the cross and the message and the message of the gospel. So after this, Paul continues his story by fast-forwarding to a meeting in Jerusalem, where he laid out his understanding of the gospel before the church. And everyone present agreed his gospel was the gospel. His message to the Gentiles was the message that the Gentiles needed to hear. But then the setting of this story changes once again. This time to a place in Antioch. And we hear about a very awkward moment between Paul and Peter. Paul had observed Peter changing his behavior toward the Gentiles. Namely, Peter had been sitting with him in table fellowship until some influential leaders from Jerusalem showed up. Then he stepped away from them. He sat only with the Jews, choosing to preserve cultural and social separation even among those who named the name of Christ. And for Paul, that was too much. He had words for Peter. He had words for everybody else. And there were these. If you, though a Jew, live like a Gentile, how can you force the Gentiles to live like Jews? This is one of those mic drop moments when everything in that room must have gone dead silent. Except for one thing. Paul picked up the mic again because he wasn't done. <clears throat> He was prepared to explain what was at stake when some in the church deviate from the meaning of the cross and deviate from the message of the gospel. <coughs> and his message simply is this. We are missing something. And we as readers are missing something until we connect the dots and allow Paul to tell the rest of the story. Our scripture reading this morning is that rest of the story. We might call these verses a story within the story because Paul it has a bigger agenda in mind. He's not just calling out Peter and kicking him to the ground. He has a plan. Paul intends to to win the assent of one and all of them by affirming the grace of God, exalting the cross of Christ, and abandoning the lie which painted Gentiles as worse sinners than Jews. Here's what we discover about this story and its structure. This is a we story. In other words, about Paul, Peter, and everyone else who in that room was Jewish. 
It's also a me story. It's Paul's personal tale of the impact of the gospel on his life, something which he considered a matter of life and death. And finally, this is a Christ story. Because ultimately, this entire event is all about who he is, what he came to do, and what difference that makes. So let me invite you to return to the text, and we're going to begin with the we story. What makes it a we story? Come, well, start counting. We ourselves, Jews by birth, and not by Gentiles. Yet we know that a person is not justified by works of the law, but through faith in Christ. So we also have believed in the Christ Jesus in order to be justified by faith in Christ and not by works of the law. But if in our, in our endeavor to be justified in, in Christ, we too were found to be sinners, is Christ in a servant of sin? So, here's the thing. We're, we're, we're studying here a situation in which Paul is reasoning as another Jew from one Jew to another. He's talking in we's for this very term. He knows how they're likely to think. He knows how, like them, what it's like to be born and bred a Jew. He knows the clean, unclean distinctions which were part of the Jewish law. He knows that of all the unclean things to avoid, the unclean Gentiles were the worst. I get that, he says. But here's the other side of the coin. We know that a person is not justified by works of the law, but by faith in Christ. This we also applies to everybody in the room. They were Christians. If one side of the coin was Jewish, the other side was Christian. And that, the truth which he applied to everyone as Christians, was irrefutable. And this is what leads Paul to next, his next we. So we also have believed in Jesus Christ in order to be justified by faith in Christ, because by works of the law no one will be justified. So, here's the issue. To embrace the gospel, Paul is reminding these men, means turning your back on the very law which told Jews to consider Gentiles unclean. That led to a problem that Peter and the others had either forgotten or just not grasped. If in our endeavor to be justified in Christ, we too were to be found sinners, is Christ then a servant of sin? Paul is telling them, this is a heads God wins and a tails you lose proposition. To plead for God to justify us, to declare us righteous, 
we are thereby admitting that we're sinners. We are admitting our own association with the unclean and unworthy Gentiles. But the issue goes deeper than that. See, it's not just that Paul is pointing out the embarrassment that, yeah, we're sinners too. It goes right to the root. Is Christ a servant of sin? Isn't it Christ's fault? Because as Paul's argument takes this form, he says, in Christ, you're casting your lot with someone who is crucified. And according to the law, someone who is crucified is cursed. You're following someone who declared all foods clean. To Peter, he's saying, you're following Christ who showed you a vision of unclean animals and said, eat this. You're following the one who sent you across the doorstep of Cornelius' house for the sake of the gospel. Is Jesus the problem? Of course not, he says. Of course you follow Christ. We all follow Jesus here. Why? Because the law makes us all sinners. But only the gospel makes us saints. Paul's we story is meant to bring healing. He had to inflict a wound on Peter and the others. But he intended for them to come back around to this point. Because he understood how to a man who looked through the lens of the law, the lost seemed like a lost cause. Paul himself had to learn that. We find that in 2 Corinthians 5. And he says, Brothers, we regard no one according to the flesh, even though we once regarded Christ according to the flesh. We regard him thus no longer. So here's some questions that are worth asking. Are you the man with the hammer for whom everything looks like a nail? Through whose lens do you see people in your world? Having been condemned by the law, would you inflict it on others? Or, having been saved by the gospel, will you be constrained by that gospel? to the end that the lost may be saved. So Paul begins this we story because he has something that everyone can and must affirm together. But in order to make his point clear, he shifts gear and begins something different, and that is the me story. What makes it a me story? Yeah, that's right. Get out your slide rules and calculators because here we go again. If I rebuild what I tore down, I prove myself a sinner. For through the law, I died to the law so that I might live to God. I have been crucified with Christ. It is no longer I who live, but Christ who lives in me. In the life I live by faith in the Son of God who loved me and gave himself for me. 
This is my story, Paul says, and welcome to it. He says, let me give you this in a version. I died a transgressor, a blasphemer, a persecutor, an insolent appointment. He <clears throat> describes himself elsewhere. I was found guilty and executed by the law, he says. And that should have been the end, right there, but it wasn't. I live made alive to God through Christ. He says, my days as a Pharisee are over. My zeal for the law has been redirected to the gospel to make it known to the ends of the earth so that even its worst enemies might be saved. This was Paul's story, but we shouldn't be fooled into thinking this was somehow pretty cut and dried. Paul makes it clear that, that this was a train wreck for him. It's a story about pain and regret. It's a story of this giant cave-in where Paul's sources of pride and status and belonging were suddenly all yanked out from underneath him. This is about Paul confessing wretched man that I am. Now Paul identified himself as the foremost of sinners. <clears throat> this story would rightly be called a tragedy if it weren't for the fact that it, of the equally surprising ending to it. Because the ending says, I live. Christ lives in me now and forever. This me story is meant to remind us how Jesus works and what differences he makes. And that is how Paul concludes his story with the Christ story. Paul had a vision of life which was really and truly cosmic. Not just some little tale about him or you or me or anyone else, but about Christ. We get a glimpse of this in Ephesians 1. In Christ we have redemption through his blood, the forgiveness of our trespasses according to the riches of his grace, which he lavished upon us in all wisdom and insight, making known to us the mystery of his will, according to his purpose, which he set forth in Christ as a plan for the fullness of time to unite all things in him, things in heaven and things on earth. The centerpiece of biblical revelation, Paul says, is the purpose and plan of God, which rests in turn on Christ as the agent of redemption, reconciliation, and the restoration of all things. What Paul writes in Ephesians echoes John's vision in the book of Revelation where the scroll of God's salvation and history is all sealed up and closed to all except one. For an angel announces, Behold, the Lion of the tribe of Judah, the Root of David, has conquered 
so that he can open the scrolls and its seven seals. So imagine then, Paul says, a denial of the story of salvation in Christ. Imagine a two-tiered system of righteousness, one for Gentiles and another for Jews. Imagine the sacrifice of Christ being needed for one, but not the other. Imagine the wall of separation between Gentile and Jew remaining intact. Imagine all this, Paul says, is in effect saying there was no necessity nor purpose in the death of Christ on the cross. It's a denial of grace. The grace, by the way, which the church in Jerusalem recognized in the work of Paul, in his message, in his inclusion of the Gentiles as the true people of God. So this was not just a disagreement with Paul. It was a disagreement with Christ. The Christ who loved us and gave himself for us. Some ancient history as a footnote. About 30 years ago, there was a mainline Protestant conference held in California, which, looking back on it, makes perfect sense. The main speaker was a PCUSA pastor who expressed his doubts about historic statements of faith about Christ. He got a lot of attention for his address and he will forever be remembered by the conclusion that he left with his audience. What's the big deal about Jesus anyway? We shouldn't be afraid of that question. Paul would certainly not have been afraid of that question. That would have been a signal to unleash a whole boatload of theology. Not just theology, but theology which makes possible a life worth living and a faith worth sharing. This was the truth about Jesus, which was an alternative to a world or even a church without Jesus. What's the only alternative to judging people according to the flesh? It's this. If anyone is in Christ, he is a new creation. Is there any alternative to our futile attempts to stand on our own righteousness? Except this. To embrace the righteousness from God that depends on faith. The only alternative to the wall of separation between Gentiles and Jews is the tearing down of that wall through the gospel. And the only alternative to decay, death, and dust is this. Whoever would save his life will lose it. But whoever loses life for my sake in the gospel will save it. 
Paul tells the Christ story because it's the one story in which we find our own story. It's the story Christ has lived out and demonstrated as true, as enduring, and as hope-producing. When Jesus said, take up your cross, he went first. When Jesus said, whoever loses life for my sake will save it, he went first. And this is the link through which we can talk about sanctification, as Pastor Rick intends to do in this series. For in his, high, his prayer on the night of his betrayal, Jesus reveals where that sanctification actually begins. He said, for their sake, the disciples, the followers yet to come, for their sake I sanctify myself that they may be sanctified in truth. Sanctification begins by being set apart for God. Just like all the old, in, in the temple, the, 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 all the vessels, the cups, all the, everything which was part of the temple had to be set apart to be used that way. So God possessed the Gentiles for that very purpose. God possessed those who cling to Christ for that very purpose. And this is a purpose which we dare not deny and we dare not betray. This is the message of the gospel. That Christ died for sins once for all. The righteous for the unrighteous that he might bring us to God. This is our invitation to the Lord's table. Because this anticipates the feast where many will come from east and west and north and south. Gentiles and Jews alike. Not trusting in their own righteousness, but only in the Lord's great mercy. This is the rest of the story. So let us rejoice and be glad in it. Let's take a moment to meditate on the word of this, of this morning. Let's uh, pause in the silence of our hearts and consider God is speaking to us. <clears throat>